Up next on episode 74 of Stack Overflow, Joel and Jeff sit down with Kathy Sierra and Bert Bates backstage at the Business of Software Conference from 2009 from IT Conversations. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Today I'm excited to bring you another great program from Stack Overflow with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood here on IT Conversations. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. And now, here's Stack Overflow. So you were talking about, I mean, the reason I'm so excited that you're here is the idea of, like, making passionate users through, let's see if I can express this very well, creating passionate users through the very act of making them awesome at what they do. And in your talk... I'm not very good at interview questions. In your talk, you talked about um, one thing which I thought was really interesting. Well, where, where are we, Joel? We are at, oh yeah, <laughs> and who's here? And who's in the room? Kathy Sierra, yay! Yes, um, and Bert is also here as well. Yeah, and, uh, and Jeff Atwood, and I'm Joel Spolsky, and this is the Stack Overflow podcast. Yes. And at some point, we'll be interrupted by the person bringing the coffee. Which is okay. Yeah. And now, uh, we are at the Business of Software Conference in sunny San Francisco, California, uh, um, it is on day two of a three-day conference with just some absolutely awesome But my favorite awesome day, speakers. but you know why. Because it's the one you went to. Exciting. Oh. <laughs> well, you know <laughs> so, why I'm here today, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. What would you say yesterday? <laughs> there, there, it is so amazing how relevant every time somebody gets up and speaks, um, but especially you, Kathy, it, how obviously relevant it was to the design of Stack Overflow about how, like, like one of the things that kills me is like Stack Overflow is all about people asking questions and becoming awesome at what they do. And then... Occasionally, you'll see somebody that so utterly and completely doesn't understand what Stack Overflow is that they'll be making some comment somewhere on the internet about how, like, well, why would we do this for free? I mean, why, why should we contribute to your site? And Joel and Jeff are going to get rich off of Stack Overflow, which is sort of a little, um, rather humorous uh, concept. And, and uh, not a excellent. reflection of systems thinking. Yeah, <laughs> that's one way of putting it. Right. So yeah. I, I was a longtime student of, of, of Kathy's writing, and I, I was lucky enough to discover her very early in her blogging career. You have a career that goes on obviously much earlier before that, but yeah, you, you were pre-blogging blog. too, actually. Right. What's that? Like, I mean, Kathy was writing stuff, creating passionate users. When did yeah. you start that site? No, that was uh, two end of two thousand and four. Uh, okay. I briefly got so sucked into doing a, a few blog posts on um, the Java blog. I can't even remember what they called it now. Was it like on the O'Reilly network or something? Java.net, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because I was a Sun employee then. Oh, all right, all right. So and I did very little. Yeah, so I was lucky enough to discover you very early on, and, and it, the message really resonated with me, you know, about like putting the user first and just like figuring out what, what, what do they want, how can we make them look good. And all that sort of came back, just to tie it together, um, when I was setting up Stack Overflow, it sort of at the top of my mind was, was how do we make programmers look good? 
because I think programmers are an audience that it's easy to make them look good because they love to tell you how good they are. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, you just have to nudge them a little bit. Over the click, <laughs> and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm the best. You know, I can, right. I can write code like nobody's business. Um, and get them to use that in, in a positive way where they're making themselves look good, they're making our site indirectly look good, um, and they're, making, they're helping each other. You know? and, and I think Java Ranch was, was, I think, some of the same basic kinds of philosophies. Yeah, oh, yeah. Because you, you had some history with Java Ranch. How did that start? Yeah, I started Java Ranch in 1997. Um, well, back when there was one book on the shelf for, <laughs> for learning wow. Java. Before it became a, a separate room in the bookstore. Right, and now, and now it's kind of sad to see how it's... <laughs> That's gone back, again. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there, it was so difficult to learn from the resources. So I was going on the, you know, comp.lang.java on the mm -hmm. news groups. And, they're, you know, they're, they're brutal. Yeah. And they were. And yeah. that wasn't a place that I, I wanted to be. I was terrified to ask a question. There's no way I was certainly going to answer a question. And especially when I would see, you know, other people struggling with the same stuff that I was... Because this was this was still in the first beta release of Java, and I wanted to jump in and help them and go, oh yeah, I was doing that last week. Yes, yes, exactly. I hit my head on that. Yeah. And there's no way I was going to say anything. And and so I thought, you know, there just needs to be a friendlier way to do this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, so I started Java Ranch, and and I started putting up. It didn't have the forums then, though. I mean, obviously, it got a lot more popular after the forums happened, and that was really. Um, someone else is doing. So I just started by posting, you know, what I thought would be sort of friendly, helpful ways, something that was a lot more accessible. It was the first time I started using graphics and drawings and um, anthropomorphizing. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, here, yeah. here, here's life from the object's point of view. Here's life from the virtual machine's point of view. Those kinds of things. Cool. Um, and then that's how it all started. But then when I went to work for Sun, um, they kind of which is, I don't know, 1999, they sort of frowned on the whole idea of using the word Java in the name, and there was that whole thing, and it was just better if I didn't have anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. Even though it later became, you know, their best evangelism site, and a yeah. much more supportive for <laughs> right, Java right, right. programmers than anything that, that they were doing at the time. Yeah. Ask, ask Kathy how much she sold Java Ranch for. Oh, billions. you sold oh, it? Billions. Pancakes. 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 How many pancakes? That could be a good talk for Neil Davidson. How many pancakes? Well, it'd be waffles. In a Java ranch. <laughs> we have this waffles thing going, so it has to be Oh, yes. But it's in, in the same vein. Now, I remember in your presentation, there was one rule, which was be nice on, yes. the, on the, the Java ranch forums. Yes. Uh, was that an effective rule? I mean, was that, I mean, in your experience? Just absurdly effective. And, and really, Bert is, um, I, I don't really have much to do with Java ranch anymore. Bert's still a really one of the main active moderators. And kind of the keeper of the nice flame. I mean, it's all volunteers, but yeah, yeah it, it's pretty ruthlessly enforced and yeah. has been from the beginning. I mean, that's you know, there's just a, a few things that they insist on. Just even saying that, which we don't, we don't have anything even remotely like that, we, right? No, we do actually. It's what actually do we have? a fact, believe it or not. Which just be nice. It's just a question of getting people to actually read it. Our fact there's is a lot a of little, other stuff. Our fact is a little bit that's longer. Yours, yeah. Hers is nice. Well, it's two words. It's nice because yeah. it's two words. Ours is a little bit longer, but be nice is in there. It's in bold. It's one of the header. Okay. It's like an H1. But they don't even have to see it. It's just the <laughs> culture. Know? I mean, the, yeah. be, the, no one has True. to have remembered that they had to click that button in the terms of service. No, no, but I mean, having it carved in, in two big words in stone in the entrance yes. gate um, makes people remember it. It's sort of like when Google, Google says, don't be evil. 
whether or not they're evil or whatever, is something at least that will cause them to, them to have conversations right before they do something exactly. evil or does internally. Or doesn't flicker about the um, don't be creepy? It's like it says, don't be creepy, you know the guy, don't be that guy. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Because everybody knows what that means. I don't, I don't know. know. Does, does it help? I, have you ever had any trouble on Java Ranch with, like, like we always have a problem with, well, I won't name names. Always. Always. Forever. <laughs> we occasionally have outbreaks of incivility, so it's an ongoing concern. It's not a general system. It's a lot concern. less than other communities that I've been to, for sure. But sometimes you'll just have a person that insists on being a member of the community that is sometimes helpful, but more often than not, taking up more than his fair share of the vice principal's time. Let's put it that way. That, that, that is true. Yeah. That's an unforunate fact that that does happen. So then in the moderator's forum, we spend a lot of time determining the moderator's closed forum that no one else can see. Yeah. How do we nicely deal with this guy mm-hmm. who has to be shuffled off the stage? Somehow, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think we, we get to that stage eventually. I think all communities do. Um, now, Kathy, well, we got really large before we got to that stage. I think. True, it, it, it's a very, very small minority to be yeah. clear. And I think most of the time, people come there oh, with yeah. the intent of like, "A, I want to show off how much I know," which is great. I mean, it's all about showing what you know, and also helping other programmers because that's really the core. Because I, I feel like programmers don't really learn like in school. <laughs> they yeah. kind of learn from each other. Right. So, like, if we're not out there like actively helping each other a little, we're kind of failing the, the craft, you know, mm-hmm. the thing that we're doing. Oh. So, I, it's kind of like important. Like, with being I important that this actually happens. Oh, yeah. So it, to the extent that we can create a tool that facilitates this and makes it easy for it to happen somewhat the right way. And um, you can also create, um, you know, even just the presence of a couple of simple documents that, that help people learn how to answer questions and learn how to ask questions hmm. so that that becomes an area of expertise that they get. I mean, I mean... You know, with programmers especially, yeah, they're all, they're all too too ready to jump in and show you how smart they are and show everyone else how smart they are. Right. But if part of showing their expertise means that they're starting to kick ass in actually answering questions, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we want to push people toward not just their expertise at whatever the topic is, but their expertise at sharing their expertise. And, you know, the more we can do that, yeah. then suddenly, you know, we've, we've, we want them to have the bar raised where they're, like, trying to out... Um, explain something well. Oh, yeah. each other. That happens all the time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rather than what yeah. you typically get on, on technical forums is they're just trying to, um, you know, shut the person down with how with how smart they are. So there's just no discussion. So we we want the the prize, you know, not even really to be how nice they are, but how actually useful they are. Oh, so usefulness totally. is it's like nice is just the, you know, the tool that allows usefulness to happen so that people will ask questions and feel comfortable doing that, and so that people will. You know, answer questions like the thing—the thing that we say about you know, no dumb questions is important, but no dumb answers is even more important if you want to mm-hmm. to grow that. So obviously, you're doing those things right. Yeah, well, we're, we're trying to, and I mean, people seem pretty happy with it. But I, there's always tweaks. There's always like there has to be an active guard on oh, the yeah. system because yeah. it's amazing how quickly things go weird. Yeah, uh, if there's somebody, you know, like the whole broken windows thing of like all of a sudden somebody's there, and then when this one weird thing happens and. Nobody More says anything that time, and then it becomes yeah. established. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's something we have to to, to keep watching for. Well, like to say, um, I gave a a talk at well, it was a private talk at at Foo Camp several years ago about um, you know dealing with nastiness on the internet, mm-hmm. and it was amazing because um, if I had 
if I had given that talk a year earlier and I had asked the question that I asked in, in this one, which would be, you know, how many people feel that it's appropriate to occasionally, you know, moderate comments, as right. opposed to the free-for-all. Yeah. And, and these were some of the most heavy-hitter, intense, uh, you know, internet people that you can imagine, hardcore. And, and I, I think everyone would have said, well, you know, no, you, you know, you don't. And, and here now, yeah. it's like, well, no-brainer, of course you do. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you don't want it to devolve. And Zay Frank stood up and, and said, you know, we've all seen dig comments. We've all seen what happens in Slashdot. We've all seen, you know, all these YouTube, different... whatever. Yeah, yeah, YouTube. And he <laughs> said, you know what? We have to be teaching people how to behave on you, the Internet. We're teaching our kids sure. how to respond and, you know, how to comment. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what kind of pattern are we going to set? And obviously it depends on the community. But if you want a community where people are going to actually learn something... You know, then you you have to allow them to to be supportive, or or you just greatly restrict the number of people who are gonna get help and be helpful. I think the idea of like unmoderated comments sounds very libertarian. It sounds very <laughs> and which programmers love, right? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's like like let's not make rules that you don't yeah. need. No rules. Can I, can I do that? Yeah, please, Absolutely. please have some coffee. But you so you you start out like you start out imagining, oh, there must be. Um, hey, let's have a coffee break. Yeah, we can get some coffee too. No, no, no. no let's do a coffee break. <laughs> There will, there will be editing. I want to flip the tables on you guys. Yeah. Jabba Ranch has a forum that Kathy and I debate all the time called Meaningless Dribble. <laughs> Joel has some experience with this topic. Oh, okay. it's oh, like an off topic. Form, yes. It's an off topic yeah. forum. Yeah. Joel knows this. Yeah. We don't allow that on Psycho. No, we have Meta. That's not off topic. It has to be about the topic of the site. True. Okay, fair enough. But it's still, you see, the thing is that, it, like, 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 my theory has always been. You have to have uh, an outlet for the people that can't get enough of your site and whatever the regular game is that you set up for them. Like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play chess. We're going to line up with a bunch of tables. We're going to play chess. That's what you're going to do. We're on Stack Overflow. People are going to ask their technology programming problems that they're having. Other people will try to answer them. But that can give you a maximum of, let's say, one and a half hours of satisfactory gameplay per day. And there's somebody that is so addicted to the site that they can't find anything else to do. They're going to hang around after they've used up their one and a half hours of game playing. And they're going to invent the new game, throwing the chess pieces around the the room. (laughs) Or disrupting other people trying to play chess. Or whatever it is. But they're just like, the truth is they're so in love with your friggin' site that they won't leave after exactly. they've gotten about as much of it, of it as they can get today out of, out of the site. And um, you'll see, I mean, it's almost the kind of people that then become the troublemakers are almost like a little bit compulsive or a little bit addicted uh, in, in, a, in a good way uh, beforehand, and you might notice this. And so um, one thing that happened on the Jolin Software discussion group a long time ago is the site got big enough. There became a group of people for whom there just wasn't enough to talk about on the Joel and Software Discussion Group, and they started talking about other stuff, and it was the wrong stuff, and we had to delete it, and finally we just made an off-topic forum and just sort of hit it, and it was the kind of thing that, like, after a certain amount of time, you'd discover, you'd find this off-topic forum, the link was sort of hidden uh, in the new question post, so not everybody noticed that it existed, but when you went to post a new question and said, hey, is this off-topic, go to the off-topic forum. So it was only sort of experienced people who were already wasting too much time on the site that even knew about this, and they all kind of went to the off-topic forum, where they proceeded to devolve into like the worst kind of 4chan kind of... I, I don't want to... They're, they're, I've right. insulted them enough times already, but just sort of a, a libertarian discussion forum with a group of people that just kind of had a lot of fun saying outrageous things that right. would have gotten me thrown in jail 
if this were in any other country other than the United States. And even some of the things which would get me thrown in jail for. So, um, so we finally had to shut it down. Uh, but but uh, it, it was a, a kind of bizarre thing is that the creation of that outlet actually made the core group so much healthier for so much longer, like giving people some other outlet. It, did, right. it, it drew off some of the weird energies. Yeah. It, it helps right. in that regard. But we don't, even though we have meta stack overflow, we don't actually have... Well, you know what it is? It's like Ghostbuster, that thing that captures the ghosts. Yeah. And you trap right. them and then... It's kind of, well, Michael used the flypaper metaphor. <laughs> like, it just sort of, like, all the flies gravitate to that. And then you can, like, sort of throw them all at once if you wanted to shut down that group. And then they're gone. I wouldn't shut them away. No, uh, but it does... A ghost containment unit. A containment unit, yeah. yeah. But there's another thing. I mean, this, we're, we're looking at this as a, as a, as a how do you control your, your, let's say, overly excited users a little bit and give them an outlet for, like, basically investing eight hours a day into the site instead of a more, you know, appropriate 20 minutes a day. Um, and that's probably exactly... Yeah, and what, did you, what did you end up oh. doing? Go ahead. Well, on Tolerance, there's meaningless dribble. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, now I think it's wonderful. I think it went through a period of time where it, it wasn't meaningless, and that was the problem. Uh-huh. It, you know, things became really political. Oh, and got heavy. Yeah, it got real heavy. And, and that was, I suppose that was important for people at that time, when, when it, at the time it got heavy. Um, <laughs> you know, but now it's great, but I think it's back to a culture thing. It's also moderated, so they... Mm. It, it's off topic, but it's not off core values of the site, which is it's still, you know, its tagline, which has been there since the first page that I put up, says a friendly place, um, well, for Java new horns, but, or uh, green horns. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it's just always had to maintain that as the value. So even though the topics, you know, can really get off topic. Vary, yeah, yeah. But now it's more, the kinds of stuff they discuss there are more like, you know, puzzles and challenges and games and, and, you know, like the Twitter memes, you know, one letter off movie titles and stuff. It's more, <laughs> it's more fun stuff, but they're, you know, they're trying to out clever each other instead of, um, so it's still an outlet for things that are not related to Java and for people to right, you know, keep right. spending time there and keep, you know, interacting, but they're, they're more about kind of showing how funny and clever they are. And yes. that, that's a much healthier way for them to do that. And, you know, for their mm-hmm. really long time regular users, you know, they'll, They'll be a little bit more tolerant if there's, you know, somebody's really going through something and, you know, maybe pushes the edge a little bit. But, but you guys, the moderators, you're really pretty familiar with the yeah. the regular users. So you talked earlier about how there's the we have the we have the document that teaches people how to ask questions, good style, you know, mm-hmm. your code tags. How to another document how to answer questions mm-hmm. nicely and keep the thing. In meaningless dribble, we have a document about um, fallacies. Mm-hmm. Spot fallacies, how to not put fallacies. Oh, really? Into your fallacies. You mean like yeah. in logical arguments? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, that's yeah, yeah. Hominem or so exactly. on. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. That's clever. So that's proven to be pretty popular also, and it helped kind of keep, you know, we can always point back. You know, if somebody starts getting a little bit, right. you can say, did you read the fallacies document? Yeah. <laughs> Which is great, because that in itself is like just spurred endless discussions on, you right. know, and kind of like those discussions they have on, you know, for like Lolcat stuff. Is that. Is that really fail, or is that you're doing it wrong? You know? <laughs> I mean, they just you know, it's the same kind of argument. The subtlety yeah. of fail, I didn't realize. Well, one thing we never oh, figured, yeah. I don't think we figured out with Stack Overflow is something that I always thought is that it's going to be a 
I, I hate to use the word community because it makes you think of a planned development by a, oh, by a, by a real estate developer. <laughs> but okay, whatever. It's a group of people that are joining together on the internet to do something. Right. And I've studied enough anthropology, although it was the course that I found the most boring in my life. But it's, I'm still trying to get some <laughs> benefit from it. Um, no, I just thought cultural anthropology, not so interesting. But I did learn some stuff there. And one of the things that I learned was that you know, there's certain things that groups of people will have that communities, the actual communities have in the real world. Um, and in anthropology, we talk about rites of passage, like bar mitzvah, wedding, death, and rites of intensification, which is a fancy word for like a holiday or a time when the normal rules don't apply or like, okay, so it's Halloween, so you, you can get drunk or whatever the, right. whatever. Actually, Purim is a good example because it's a, it's a Jewish holiday where you are actually required to get drunk which is really like the normal rules not applying. Um, I'm just sort of flipping something around. So that's a rite of intensification. And it seems to be sort of a healthy thing to have like special events that happen on, on some kind of, right. you know, cal either calendar or times of day or whatever. And something makes life so much better for people if it's not just work, 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 but it's work, 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 and then enjoy the company of the people that you work with a little bit or something. So that's what one thing I don't think we ever got in Stack Overflow is really a good place for the the people just to kind of be social and hang out and like what would you do if you were a heavy Stack Overflow user and you were going through uh, a life crisis, for example, or a life happiness? Like 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 where would where would a, a hundred thousand point Stack Overflow user go to announce that they're getting married? Uh, that's a tough one because I I guess I'm a little bit in the minority here because I. I kind of discourage discussion like my feeling right. is you have you have a bar and people hang out at the bar in this case the bar is you know a place to get programming questions answered um, and then when the bar closes you know you have that whole discussion with everybody at the bar it's like look you can't really stay here you have to go somewhere <laughs> to else go because I mean part of being a healthy software developer is you're not spending all your time on Stack Overflow and this is right. kind of a, a little bit of a minority position but since I basically run the site I get to make those you get kind to of do things. that yeah uh, no that, this is I struggle with that boundaries. same idea that that's that's why I was kind of uncomfortable with that whole with meaningless journal for a while too but right. mm -hmm. it, it does seem like the positives of for the reasons that you mentioned have really outweighed the negative side and but and it's very bounded but the difference is you probably don't you know turn off the server at 2 a.m. no <laughs> right right you do at the bar so you got it you know the metaphor only works so far it, it, I think it would be fun with the right community because I, I think some of the meta community tends to be dominated by the people who are, tend to be the most invested in that part of it. And I mm -hmm. think if we had a sanctioned place where, like, okay, now you can really talk about anything as long as it's not you know, rude and offensive. Uh, it's just, you know, talk about you're getting married or talk about something cool that happened to you at work. Um, that might yeah. be kind of fun because there is a really a nice core of really high quality participants. But, I, but they know I've been telling them, look, you know, basically there's other places on the internet for you to do this stuff. I don't right. feel like we have to own every minute of your waking day. I mean, right. if you want to, that's great, but uh, I've been sort of consciously pushing people into, you know, some No, but the place. other good things that you've done have, have caused people to want to do this. I mean, right. yeah. you've created an environment where, you know, people have gotten to know one another and they, these, you know, being, these are their peeps. And being, <laughs> being human beings, sure. And, and I totally appreciate yeah. that. We did those, and when we did those Dev Days conferences, one of the things that people complain about the most is that there wasn't enough time to network and socialize. And that was partially because we only had one day and I wanted people to get like a ton of value out of it in terms of I'm just I just want you to have at least six one hour. You know what we should do like a speed dating I mean, thing. 
Like seriously, like I'm speed not kidding. Dating. Speed dating thing. Well, because, you know, <laughs> because you know how programmers like are afraid to. You know, yeah. now I'm kind of like this. Like, oh, people. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be cool, right? Oh, but yeah, it's just for, did, forced to interact. Yeah, or like you're, kind of, it's just yeah. some kind of con, like a game because programmers love. What do we know from the reputation system on Stack Overflow? Programmers love that stuff. Yeah, they love rules. They love games. They love playing this stuff. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be nearly that elaborate. We we tried various ways of creating networking opportunities at Stack Overflow Dev Days. And every city had different physical logistics for where we were eating lunch. Yeah, but the one that worked the best is when we had tables and we said every table gets a discussion topic. And the discussion oh, yeah. topic was one word. We only did that one place, didn't we? Uh, we, we? It worked in two or three I places total. I love that idea. Um, but, but some of the places we just couldn't make it work logistically. But the places where it worked, it worked great. And, and the topics were extremely broad, like startups. If you're interested in startups, you're in a startup, you want to be in a startup, anything to do with startups, which is you know, business. Uh, anything. J go to the table with an A on it. If you're interested in programming languages, anything to do with programming languages, you just want to talk about programming languages, go to a table with a B on it. And that gave people enough to a to topic. get them over the, you're at a table with 10 people, yeah, you don't know anybody, you got a topic. You have a little bit of a topic, somebody, somebody is going to bring something up and that'll start a conversation. And that was enough. And that worked really well and people loved that when it worked. And you know that's something we should do more of as we have more Stack Overflow conferences. But then we sort of need a year-round way to kind of. There was a restaurant in LA that used to do that. No way, really? Yeah, it was. Um, I can't remember what it was. And it had like group tables. Yeah, it was. In, I yeah. think they called it joiner tables. It was uh -huh. in the the whole in the area of Hollywood where like all the post production stuff mm -hmm. is. So you get this real mix of people. So they would have these huge tables, and then they just you know have things, and they, it'd be like writing or audio editing or you know, cool. stuff yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and people would, you know, sit down because they'd be, you know, in L.A. You can't That sounds like a terrific idea really because the, the opposite of that is um, a, a chain of Belgian restaurants, mostly in New York, called Pan Quotidian, which has these long communal tables that you eat at. And they have this wonderful idea that you sit down at this long communal table and there's all these other people there uh, that you could presumably have a nice conversation with over baguette and Nutella, which is their main, their main uh, staple that they serve there. Um, but of course you never do. You always just sort of kind of ignore the other people there in some kind of socially awkward way. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And just to add like, you know, topic of conversation for today, you know, flora. Well, as, as an aside, one of the explicit goals <laughs> of Tech Overflow was to, was to get out of the, uh, the technology ghettos for like, okay, I know C-sharp and that's all I know. That's right, yeah. And I don't care about anything else. Yeah. And we kind of force people, when they go to the homepage, you're going to see Python, you're going to see Ruby, you're going to see all that stuff on the homepage. And our hope was, I mean, that was all very, very intentional. It was like, okay, you can go, you can click on the tag and just stay in your little tag. You can also look and see what other programmers are doing, right? So dismissive. <laughs> well, I want people who right, right, right. We have really intentional some, design some, decisions. Some clear opinions. We really had some opinions. It was yeah. opinionated design about, like, we're going to make you do this stuff. Like, you know, and you're going to have to fight it a little if you don't like it. Yeah. But that was the intent. It was like you had these different topic tables. Okay, you're a Java guy. I'm a C-sharp guy. You're, you're a Ruby guy. And no, but that's great because you're, you're enabling growth. I mean, you're, you're making that growth, you know, a little bit easier than the... Mm -hmm. Well, that was like, I'm so tired of all the, 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 the wars about who's better and like what's better. It's like, just go create yeah. something awesome. That's really what you need yeah, to be worried about. Right. You know? Right. And, and if, the more programmers could focus on that and less about their petty little language problems, which they love still to this day. This is going to be this great thing that they love. <laughs> like, we, we, we've got a new product that works with Mercurial, and Mercurial is very close to Git. And they're two pods. Opposing of the same, camps. Opposing camps. That's right. I'm sorry. But they're both awesome. You know, I mean, they're both absolutely terrific. Uh, they're, they're wonderful technologies. Everybody needs to look at them. Yeah, but you're with the Capulets. I'd pick the Mercurial because... Family. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Mercurial would be the Montagues and the Capulets would be Git, ah. don't you think? 
Uh, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Anyway, it, it is like that. It really is like that. And I can I can just see people saying, "Ooh, you know, Joel supports Mercurial. Let's see, is that going to be? Can we, can we have a fight here, please? And then you know, hopefully, get somebody from Thirty Seven Singles to be on the get side. <laughs> that would be perfect. That would just create the most awesomest thing on the end. But to some to some extent, that's just like you just you want to watch Law and Order. Go watch Law and Order. Don't log onto the internet and go into right. programming discussion <laughs> groups. <laughs> you know, if you want there to be, uh, you know, a, 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 an epic fight between good and evil. So I like these. I like these physical manifestations of the what we're trying to do logically and, and you know. On, on Stack Overflow, uh, particularly having the different tables and yeah. Next year, definitely, let's have more. Try have more focus on. Yeah. That. Have you ever done Smackdowns? Oh, I'm <laughs> a huge like a Smackdown one. fan. Well, I, I was actually telling Joel. I, of course, now I'm in the position of telling Kathy stuff to Joel, but yeah, because Joel was actually uh, remarking about the whole, you know, people on the internet love to see you know opposing ideas, and, and I had to explain to him your brilliant idea, which uh, I'm not sure it's yours, but still brilliant. Uh, that occasionally you want a little bit of conflict, as long as it's sort of mock conflict, like wrestling conflict, where nobody's really getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Because people, it's just easier to learn when you, when you see two strongly opposing Ooh. things. Yeah. Well, but it forces not. your brain to engage. You can't, you can't ignore it. Yeah. It's like even against your will, your brain is forced to like pick a side, and and it, and you have to think deeply when, especially when they're two. They, they both sound valid because you know how sometimes you listen to someone present an argument and you'll go yeah 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 and then you hear the other side and you go oh shit yeah that too yeah. but that makes sense too yeah 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 <laughs> well that like that pain you know in your head is is thinking and so we, that, could, we, we love could seriously that. do so, so some of these things we could seriously do if we had a few hours if we had a like a week long Stecco Flow conference we could take a b- bunch of people and we could do things like um, pair programming versus working alone. So basically, some teams would work as, as pairs, and everybody would get the same problem, the same coding problem. And awesome. some teams would work as pairs with the classic pair programming, and some teams could divide up the work into two parts and work on them separately. And um, that, that, that would be a really fun thing, because there's nobody ever gets to do like anything even remotely looking like a study of whether or not pair programming is more productive than not pair programming, or working in a private office versus working in a war room. And... Um, you know, no, nobody's ever even come close to actually doing a real comparison of those things. You'd have to add heart rate monitors. I love though. that. <laughs> heart rate yes. monitors. Yes. Okay. I, I was subjected to pair programming, and we got a lot done, but I wanted to jump out a window. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. And but, you know, when people do ask me kind of about that, and 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 um, uh, somebody told me, he said, like, I heard you're against pair programming. I got these two programmers, and they love the pair programming. And I'm like, you know, it's actually if they like it, it, it it's probably working. It's probably making them more productive. The, the main problem with pair programming is that programmers just don't seem to want to do it. Not that you know, they don't seem to like working like that with that closely to somebody else. N- not that it's not that. It but we could do some kind of ex- lab or experiment for people that haven't done it. Or, sure. I mean, there's all these. Yeah, but there's a million things like that where there are people out there making claims on both sides of the same argument. Oh, yeah. I love like framework yeah. smackdowns. Those are the ones I've seen live. That would be pretty fun. We had something very very close to that in London. Where um, P- Peter Norvig, uh, who's the chief scientist at Google or something like that, yeah, chief yeah. scientist, I think he's, he's got some big data guy. AI guy. Yeah. He's one of the main guys. He's really really smart, and he wrote an absolutely brilliant explanation of how you do the spelling corrector, which is that thing on Google where you type Spolsky and it says you mean Spolsky, and it does that not based on a dictionary, and um, but but based on all the words that are used on the entire internet everywhere in every language, um, and. He said, okay, here's how you would write the code to do that. And then he did it in 21 lines of Python code. 
And when you look at those 21 lines of Python code, you think there is not enough code here to possibly do what he says it's doing. It's a spell corrector based on all the words in some gigantic corpus, whatever. You give it any file full of words, and you give it another word, and it tells you what word you probably meant, what, what, what typo you must have made. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's just because Python is super elegant, super clean. And um, so um, one, one of the things that I had at Dev Days in every city was a Python tutorial. And I recommended to the Python speakers, if they don't have their own topic that they wanted to do, I recommended, why don't you explain Peter Norvig's code? Because it uses a lot of things in Python that are actually unique to Python to make really, really elegant code. And even if you knew Python, you wouldn't be bored because you'd be learning a very interesting algorithm here. So uh, I think 8 out of 10 uh, used it, and people generally liked it. But in London, John Skeet was like, can I, during lunch, I'm going to write this in C-sharp. <laughs> I'm going to write the same code in C-sharp. Uh, can you, would you put my monitor up on the screen? And then he got a couple people around him, and they put his computer up on the screen during lunch, and he tried to hack through that thing in C-sharp. And I don't know the status of that. He didn't quite finish in time. I don't think he time. quite got as far as he wanted to, but yeah. he made some progress. He did make some progress. And he could be... <laughs> well, actually, C-sharp 3.0... Somebody like like Johnsky could probably get it down to um, it probably be close. thirty lines, you know, like like, like a little, only a little bit more than uh, it would be. It would definitely be more verbose than Python, just because of like the squiggly braces and a few other things. But um, but but it would probably be pretty similar because there's a lot a lot of those advanced features that Python has are starting to show up. Yeah. So sure. anyway, the, the final thing on that. that so fun. I think it's okay for people to seek out some level of conflict. It's just a question of how much they're seeking. Out. Yeah. And are you doing it, it as a goal sport? At some point. Or are you doing it for sport, or are you pretending that there's a conflict that's not really happening? But I think the, the, the place it comes from is a place of learning. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say. Is like, I think right. people, when they're like, ooh, let me see. Well, that's how we yeah. drove it. I mean, because we, we made the conscious decision that it, from the very first the very first head first book, yeah. that, that that was going to be included, that was going to be a feature in, in the books as a tool for learning. Mm-hmm. Just based on that idea, because that, we will use every trick we can that will cause right. people, like I said, against their will, to <laughs> have to use their brain. Uh-huh. And, and that's one of the simplest ways to do it. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, like we'll see some authors, and certainly I've done it, where it's sort of contrived, where you, you're really only pretending mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that the other side is a, you know, you're really just kind of doing a straw man thing. Yeah. And we, we try to discourage that. I mean, we try to find real you know, honest value in both things, even though we may decide that we're going to just pick one, that this is the approach we're going to use. Yeah. But the idea is, um, it, it's to force them to think more deeply because when you're presented with two things that both make sense yeah, and are opposing and, and also, you know, we're all dealing with, with issues that are more complex. I mean, they're, right. It's not, as- they're not simple and they, they don't necessarily need to be. And you know it's okay for people to understand that um, you know there there are multiple ways to do this, and they both you know mm-hmm. they both have value. And sometimes we're going to pick one because you know in this context this programming approach makes more sense. And sometimes we're just going to do it because we just rolled the dice, or sometimes because we just already know this way, mm-hmm. even when it's you know not as efficient or you know. And it's okay, but we just want people to see those perspectives. But the other reason that we do it is because, you know, when people are trying to learn anything technical, right, everything that they look at, especially if they're, if they're already programmers and they're learning, like, a new language, mm-hmm. the first thing your brain starts doing is trying to map it to what you already know, 
and that just right. and you're just bleeding you know brain cycles doing that <laughs> yeah. so part of what we try to do is not ignore the fact that they're that they're doing that and just acknowledge it in some way either by saying you know look here are all the things mm-hmm. that you should not worry about right now right and it's like we're you know we're trying to anticipate here are all the things that are just going to be you know nagging at the back of your mind do you ever like, well, actually wait, 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 like you know. like like do real tests where you show text to people and ask them what's nagging in the back of your mind so I can put it on that list or do you just try to do you just try to anticipate that or um is there we do it in a couple ways actually so the first one because the first the first three books that we wrote were all things that I'd been teaching at Sun right so you know as a teacher you You end up with that list sure right and you know and and it has been studied that if you look at a technical topic Mm -hmm. and if you look at the questions that people ask you know, it, it follows kind of that 80-20 rule that, that there'll be some outlier questions. Yeah. But you can you can pretty much figure out what are the things Most that are really going to be bothering you. Yeah. Now, what we tell authors who are not teaching the topics they're writing about is that you can't always predict. Yeah. So that's where we would tell people to go haunt a forum Right. where people are most likely to be having trouble with whatever this topic is uh-huh. and just do a, a, an analysis. Just, you know, we want to see the numbers. How many people asked questions about, you know, this? Mm -hmm. How many Mm -hmm. people asked questions about this? And figure out, you know, what those pain points are. So we don't want them guessing about those cognitive leaks because those cognitive leaks are the things most likely to either cause people to throw the book across the room or or stop. And, And certainly they're not devoting their brain to it if they're... Even if they're not consciously aware that something's not right, something's is, not right, is. something's not right. Very weird. Sometimes, some, so, sometimes you're just you're so distracted by not knowing something that you need to know while a book is trying to explain something to you. Right. Uh, and then sometimes you're reading a text that's trying to teach you something, and you're constantly surprised that every sentence is exactly the sentence that you wish was there. Right. Because that was the thing you were we wondering about at that exact moment. Now you also don't want to take people off. You know, you're, I mean, it's sort of like you've constructed a, a film, right? And you don't want people going off on the... Yeah. You know, we all know how interactive movies went. You know, I mean, we don't want people leaving right, the right, path. Right, right. right. Um, because here they're in the flow. So, it, so the trick is, how can you give people those... You know, how can you relieve people of all those cognitive leaks without taking them off the path? So that's why we yeah. do things like the... We have the, you know, the, the Q&A thing, uh-huh. where as they're reading, it'll be like, here are questions that might be bugging you. They're not... Central people don't have to read them to keep going forward, but it's the it's kind of like the skeptical questions, and then we also have skeptical characters actually in the book format mm-hmm. right. who are posing. Right. Well, wait a minute, this is you know this is, this is insane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is just this yeah. is ridiculous. And occasionally, you know, the answers were you know like sometimes they'll say, well, what, you know, who wrote this API? What the hell were they thinking? And most of the time, we'll go, well, there's actually a good explanation. But occasionally, it'll be like. Yep. You know what, the, the answer we got from Sun Engineers was, well, we're humans too. Yep. And we make mistakes on naming and you know, stuff right. like that. But it's like as long as it's answered, then you've let that go and people can keep moving forward. And, you know, that's really a tricky thing to do. You, you may really answer this. Whatever happened, when I was um, a child, my parents, um, my mother had to learn PL1 in order to do an experiment with concordances on a mainframe computer or something like that. She was one of the early people trying to use computers, which were mainframes in those days, there were no personal computers, on, uh, in the humanities. So she was, I think, analyzing Shakespeare, and she was taking words from Shakespeare and looking them up uh, in dictionaries, which she got dictionaries sent to her on magnetic reel-to-reel tape, 
And anyway, she had to write code in PL1 to do this analysis uh, of, I think, the, a histogram of the words and the dictionary definitions of the words that appeared in Shakespeare. It didn't, there was no result. <laughs> anyway, um, but, 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 uh, but she had to code this up in PL1. So she brought home a bunch of PL1 programming manuals, and I was small, and I read them. And these were like 1970s era IBM programming manuals, and they used this style of documentation or training called programmed instruction. That was the word. Have you ever heard that term? Yeah. Must have disappeared. But let me just tell the listeners what it, what it was. You had a grid with two columns, and you were meant to cover up the right-hand side of the grid mm -hmm. and read down the left-hand side. And it would alternate between giving you like a one sentence, like just giving you a little snippet of fact about what you were learning, and then it would ask you a question. And the answer was on the right-hand side, and you would move down the card on the right-hand side to see if you got the answer right. And so you were constantly testing yourself on all these little... And I thought that was brilliant, but I was 12 or 9 or something. I don't even know how old I Maybe was. Maybe that's how IBM did all their instructions. I stuff. think they did at that time, and they must have been. Do you know, do you know anything about that? Do you, what, 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 where? Yeah, I mean, it, it was something that has, you know, like all the other little techniques and, and bits and pieces of learning theory that can be applied. I mean, mm -hmm. that one had a lot of relevance. It's that... So many things, when they're done, in, we talked about this earlier today, when things are just done in one particular style, yeah. you're, you're not only limiting the number of people who can actually learn from that in that way, but you're also restricting the learning of the people um, who, who even prefer the way that you're delivering it. Uh -huh. Because the, the more options people have for coming at a topic including like there's a lot of talk about learning styles right um, you know oh some people are visual some people you know most of that has been proven to be pretty much nonsense <laughs> no, even though that myth persists because everyone knows that they have something that they feel as though they prefer yeah. but the, the it turns out that the style that matters is the one that's most effective for delivering that kind of content mm -hmm. you know I mean we're you know we're all visual mm -hmm. I mean, there's it's, it's very difficult like with a technical topic to to explain something without using diagrams and hope that the message you want to communicate that's in your head will actually transfer without error into someone else's head. Right. I mean, if right. I can just, you know, so, so one of the reasons that we use a lot of graphics is because we just can't write that well. I mean, I just, there's no way I could guarantee that hard, I can use yeah. words when I can just have one picture and, oh yeah, there's the server, oh yeah, yeah. there's the client. Oh, that's how the you know this travels over here and that travels over so there. So you need like seven, seventeen different mechanisms all at the same time, basically. Keep more is pictures. more is better. I yeah. mean, if you were with someone one on one, yeah, tutoring, right? A really good, you know, tutor instructor. Well, and, and let me back up for a second. One really cool thing is that even though it it didn't go in this direction, mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of funding for. Uh, computerized instruction mm -hmm. many many years ago and Xerox Park w were some of the people who were really leading this and mm. um, you know NATO was funding it and you know there were everything they could do to you know help the military learn faster so while they did that they believed of course that they would be doing everything you know computerized mm -hmm. that all learning would just be computerized and it would be awesome you know the <laughs> earliest days of CBT well actually we were going to just take a pill but in the meantime oh, we're going to use computers once they, the yeah, pill, once, the the whole, once the whole under your pillow thing didn't work yeah. and they, um, they, they did that but what they did is they started analyzing I mean deep analysis of 
actual human tutors, and and most of it was done around programming. Uh-huh. So from like 15 years ago and 20 years ago, there's just this amazing amount of research buried in these just you know like proceedings from ancient AI conferences that are all about how people learn programming. And it's like, and, and that's just what we started looking at because no one is really using that data. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's all right there. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, it, and one of the things that, that it now seems obvious, but um, actually one of my favorite ones was that um, when they first started doing this analysis, these were some people from Park, they would t- you know, take really great teachers and they would have these, you know, poor grad students transcribing every single thing that was being said and done in the classroom. Everything. Mm-hmm. And they would write down, every, including, the teacher dropped his pen right. on the floor, right? <laughs> they captured everything. And then they went through and they started taking out everything that they thought was noise. And then eventually, over time, they started putting some of that back in. Because they started realizing that some of the things they thought were noise were not actually noise. Mm -hmm. And to the point of, I think there was one study where they'd have people look at a screen and they're learning something. And for absolutely no apparent reason at all, like a red ball would just fly across the screen. Mm -hmm. And these little random things, and it was that idea of, it was just enough of a little wake up. Wow. That even, oh. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, it's a really bad idea to use things, uh, you know, arbitrarily. Yeah, but yeah. they did that to prove the point that even when it has no value at all, and it, it certainly it could have led people off path, when, when it was just this relentless, forward-moving train of information, and they didn't have, you know, these things that were noise. And they said it turned out that people would have a greater memory for things after the instructor stubbed his toe. Sure. You know, and, and, and the things yeah, even yeah. right before that. But that's you know? a story. So, yeah, what are we yeah, talking yeah. about? That's a story. Like when you stub your toe, that's a story. Now I remember because remember yeah. that time the teacher stubbed his toe after he taught us that formula. Yeah. It's you remember the I formula? I still remember Roger Shank at Yale. Like this is, uh, if I had to, if you yes. told me, give me a story of some something that happened in school. Roger Shank at Yale stood up on the table and said, "You're going to remember this for the rest of your life because your teachers never stand up on tables." Yeah. And uh, and and he was making a point about how memory works. Well, he's the one who has that quote. We remember right. that which we feel. Right, you know? right, right. And we're not feeling a lot of technical <laughs> texts. You know? I mean, that's that's, uh, that's right. We we actually are. And but and but the things that you do remember, actually. I mean, you know, I, I wonder what what it, like like certain visceral things that, that I that I remember very well. I remember like being taught to look at C code and understand its performance in, in a way that it never occurred to me to to look at it. Sort of like like I wasn't. I was looking at it at a functional level and not at what is actually happening behind the scenes. And suddenly somebody told me, well, this is really slow the way you're doing this. And I suddenly looked behind the functional level at what, what it was actually doing and realized that it was much slower than I thought it was. And that just gave me a different way of looking at code that I remember. You know, but that was from another person, which is yeah. why you were but it was, saying. I mean, it was like an educational thing that's very, it was, it was very, very memorable, like a, a particular point. A new way of seeing. But who knows? I mean, maybe I just had more coffee that day. <laughs> you know, And people have been telling me this since I was... A child, and I've been ignoring them. Is, this goes back like to my point of why it's so important yeah. to have other programmers working with you because they'll see something that you have never seen. And they'll because open they just have a different way it. of looking at the world. It's amazing. Oh. Like yeah. just shortcuts, just the way they approach the computer, stuff you would never even think about. Yeah, right. Just seeing their approach. That's, that's why. why. I mean, we tried to with a Stack Overflow Dev Days. We we encouraged the, all all the speakers to write as much code as they could on on stage, just knowing that you always learn so many incidental things from watching people, from watching other programmers work, which is you know. Um, you know, it's, it shouldn't be the only way you learn things ever, um, and sometimes it can be kind of tedious. But but it's, sometimes it's just astonishing where you're just looking at what choice of editor they're using, what kind of tools that they're using, what you know keyboard shortcuts they're using. What... The red ball just went by on the screen. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anything we can do 
I mean, our goal is always how can we get their brains to engage at a deeper level? Uh-huh. And, you know, what, what are all the possible, all the possible ways them, that yeah. we could get them to engage at a deeper level? And, mm-hmm. and we don't care what the tricks are. Right. And, and looking at something from a different perspective mm-hmm. is a huge one. And so, you know, that's why the, you know, the SmackDown thing or looking at something even just in a different representation. Yeah. So as many different ways of coming into this, that helps everyone learn more deeply. But it also helps ensure that you're going to catch the people who would have missed it, you know, the other two or three or four ways. I mean, the one thing mm-hmm. you hear most often about technical books is people say, they read book after book after book after book on the same topic. Huh. Peter Vanderlinden had this quote about tech writers, um, and he said, they suffer from clear only if known syndrome. <laughs> and it's like they write something that even when they're at their best, they write something that's very accurate, very technically correct, right. and you only understand it you after. It. <laughs> yeah, and who's going to help people you know, into that particular right. thing? And you know, we find that, I mean, now we're, you know, we're, we're learning about horses and we're finding the same thing in the horse world that it's like we have to triangulate among all these different people writing about the very same topic to figure out and then sometimes you can have one lesson with one human who will go oh no actually you're supposed to move you know you're supposed to do this and put your butt here and it's like the hell didn't they say that? Yeah, no, they didn't say that in all those books. Yeah, that's that's actually something that I um, uh, that uh, I mean, my, my dad is an expert on teaching languages, and um, I went with him when I was a child to a course to learn Arabic, and um, there was an instructor in a room of about twenty five people in the room, and the instructor, it was the very very first course on like how to say hello and how to say goodbye in Arabic, and the instructor was so detail-oriented that my dad noticed that he had formed a mental model of every single pupil in the room, every single student in the room, and what they had learned and what they hadn't learned. Now, it was the very, very first course, so everybody went in knowing zero Arabic and came out learning seven words, but he knew that, like, okay, that guy's still having trouble with marhaba, marhabtin, which is hello, and the response to hello, and that other person is not yet, and so I'm going to go back and drill that person. And he was, it looked like he was just sort of randomly picking on people. And he, had, he was actually keeping track of, of like I, took, I think about 25 people in the room. And my dad, who's kind of an expert at looking at these things, noticed this and pointed it out to me. He's like, look what he's doing. It's like, you can't do that even on the second class. Because after the first class, people go home and they want to practice their newfound skills. And they try it on something and they learn another word. And the instructor no longer has a mental model of what you know. And you can't, I mean, you can't sustain that for very long at all. Um, but, uh, and usually where they get in trouble, where language instructors get in trouble, is they try for too long to limit, like, you don't know that word yet. And I, and I, I later went back and took college Arabic uh, years later. And it, you know, and it was like a full semester course. It was much more serious than the conversational Arabic course. And, um, and it was about the second week of the class. And some student kept saying, how do you negate the sentence? How do you say not? And the professor says, you haven't learned that yet. That's in week three. <laughs> it's like, just let's talk about something else. I can't tell you how to say that. It's too complicated. It's too hard. I haven't taught you that, so you just don't have to tr- tr- try to do that. Which was sort of, 
probably not a good way to teach a language. Like you would imagine that the right way to teach a language is like, let's just struggle along. I'll help you with a word or two. Maybe you won't know the full grammar of like when to say mission and when to say la, which are the two different ways to say not. Well, isn't that what happens in the real world? I mean, yeah, yeah. it's an Arabic speaking sure, country sure. and they had nobody they could translate, I would kind of, of course. just be flailing. Right, right, right. So it was sort of funny. It was sort of funny that like the, the, the beginning language teachers somehow have this compulsion to have a complete mental model of everything you know, and they're going to right. fill in all those slots in the right order. And when it works, so it's brilliant, but it, only, it can only possibly work right. for one teacher and one student in about 10 minutes. Well, you just described the model that they wanted to use for the, the field of intelligent tutoring systems. Uh-huh. Yeah, that the computer would have would always have the student model. Uh-huh. And then it would also have the expert model. Right. And it would be trying to converge those and then people would fight about whether how much the student should be exposed to the expert model and you know and, and yeah. the learning would happen in the comparisons between you know, this perfect view of the student model versus the expert. And right. And that's, that's a very, it's a very, it's, it seems like almost an obsession compulsive kind of model. Yeah. yeah. Something that, um, that happens with kids, I just noticed because I got nieces and nephews and stuff like that, is they have a lot of trouble with the um, um, uh, first person, just saying I. They, they tend to say, uh, they say me a lot when they mean I. Like they, they learn that last. It's one of the latest things. Is they say me wants to go to whatever. If, I mean, it's, Elmo. <laughs> he was just talking about Elmo on Twitter. So <laughs> Sorry. This is probably what's going. No, no. no. Uh, what, what's actually kind of interesting? Sometimes they'll 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 start referring to themselves as in the um, and then if you look, a lot of times their their caregivers or it's, if it's their mother or their father who spends most of the time with them, often refers to herself in the third person, and says to the kid, "Okay, mommy's tired now." Right. And you're like, no wonder this kid isn't freaking learning how to say I. It's like hard enough that you have to flip it. Oh, like yeah. I would say you and you would say I. I haven't thought about that. But parents, do you, do you ever do that? I don't know why, but it is extremely no, common I've for parents heard my to refer to it. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's just really standard speech pattern. It's just, it's standard baby uh, baby talk or whatever, um, which 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 is kind of odd. And so kids get that kind of last. Right. I don't know why that matters, but but I, I think the point is that when you're trying to make a mental model for how people learn. It's not necessarily just ticking off the items. Right. That the instructor knows. It's there may be a path that's indirect to getting to getting there. So before it looks like we have a timer call. Uh, ah yes. Before we go, I have one last thing I want to talk about. One of my favorite articles you ever written was the one where you're talking about all the job instruction you used to do, and sort of the the, the key lessons that you learned. And I loved reading that because just a light bulb went off over my head. Was first like don't even bother with introductions. Because I think your, your, your oh. list is like, here's why you don't do introductions. A, nobody cares. B, nobody cares. C, nobody cares. D, nobody cares. And I was like, that's great. That's perfect. Because it's about the information. It's about what can we teach? What can we and learn together? And huge fights with some of the other job instructors about that. It was pretty funny. Well, I, I, yeah. But I love the bravery because I've never heard a presenter say that. I, don't yeah. think, I think you were the first that I had ever, ever heard say it. And well, and, and I took it to an extreme because you but know, it worked so well for you. You were like instructor of the year. Right? Oh yeah, it worked great. I mean, this is like a because big I want, I really wanted to prove that point that well. The, so the you know I was still trying to beat the same you know drum that it, it's not about us. It, mm-hmm. It's about them. They just really don't care. And so everyone was really on this thing about well, you have to establish credibility, like you know, authority, and, and the not people, just credibility, yeah. authority, yeah. right? Although in this case, you know, people were paying a lot of money, which terrified me. Yeah. I, mean, it, I hated the feeling of someone. In fact, I had a sign over my cubicle at Sun, and I was always getting in trouble for it. And it said, "Someone just paid two thousand dollars for this course. Was it worth it?" Yeah. Wow. And I wanted to remember that every single moment. 
and, and I also wanted to make sure that the people who have put all the typos in there, you know, would see that. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, I would go in there very conscious of the fact that, you know, this is what they were doing. And, and so everyone was like, we have to establish, you know, credibility so that they will, you know, accept what you're saying. And then they'd say, oh, but you're, you know, you're a female, you're teaching a technology course. Then, then I started teaching classes for Sun on technologies that no one was really experienced in. So I was the unlucky person that got stuck being the EJB <laughs> instructor when I really desperately wanted to be the genie instructor. And I think the two courses that we offered, I got to teach one of them. And then we never had another course again because they, well, I'm not bitter, they killed it. Um, so instead I was doing EJB. Um, and, and that was a lesson in developer passion because the, the, you know, the genie course, well, and genie developers, right, people were absolutely stunned and thrilled and, you know, having the time of their life. And, and in EJB, it was just a very, you know, different world. But so I had to go in there and teach these enterprise developers. And I had been a game developer. I mean, I'd been programming for quite some time, but I had never had experience as an enterprise developer. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I had just never had to deal with that. And so, you know, everyone said, oh, you're just going to get killed out there. And, you know, you don't have real-world experience in that, and so it's going to be really difficult. And I said, well, then I just won't bother mentioning anything. Why don't I just start yeah. <laughs> teaching? And then the most awesome thing, so I just start. Yeah. And occasionally I'd write my email address, you know, that had my name in it, right. embedded in it. I love that. On the it's board. So mean, by the way. I love that. Yeah. But the best There's part... There's something about that that really resonates oh, it's with me. It's great. not about you. It's about... The information is the yeah, main yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I had to prove that no one cared about me. And then, But the best part was that after I would do that, and I would certainly never have lied to any of the students. I mean, I just, I just did the best I could at teaching the class. In the reviews afterwards, people would go, it's so great that she has real-world experience in this. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> I, where did they, you know, it, it didn't matter. That. It, it, that's a yeah. reflection of sure. how they felt about what they got. And it just... Just didn't make any difference. Yeah, and and then you know after that, um, especially with teaching, everybody knows that teaching doesn't correlate to anything. No, like 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 especially. I mean, it doesn't matter. At every university, the great teachers are, are always are never the great researchers or, or practitioners. They're just great at teaching. And then, well, Some I think thing. so. There are two things. One, obviously, they're not introducing because who cares at that point? I agree with you. And then at conferences, I so I'm really adamant about not being introduced at conferences either. Which I, I totally respect that. I think that's fantastic. And yeah. then, in terms of the the actual material, it's all about you know what how they can learn, right? Like not about you as the instructor, but I mean, what were some of your tricks? Just briefly, I know we're limited on time. Um, I think the main one was. I mean, this was, it was difficult to teach those classes because I didn't get to build the courses oh, until later. I mean, later I did, I was a course developer, but in the beginning I didn't. And, and yeah, and that's always hard. But so I would, you know, slowly start to tweak things. And then pretty soon I just started, you know, throwing out the labs. So the labs was the classic example. Those to me were the worst because they would, they would often give the students the answers to the lab. And basically, then they were just starting to type them in. So one of the first things I did, and then as a course developer, what I did is say, well, you know, the, the, the labs are really important. They have to do this. But they have to, I mean, there's a point to the lab. It's just to learn something. So I would write, um, well, and you also might have a dozen people at very different levels for whatever the technology was. So, I mean, despite the prerequisites, right, there's still a big range of people that can follow. So the labs are only, you know, if you have one lab, it's going to meet, you know, a certain skill level other people are going to be bored while other people are frustrating frustrated so we started making um incrementally increasing oh. hints 
That's a game design thing as well. So uh, that, well, yeah. yeah. So that they, they, you know, they would get, you know, hints over time. They could ask for them when they needed yeah. to. They would, you know, start to evolve, and that helped a lot with dealing with multiple skill levels and causing people to think more. But part of it was just changing the the perspective. I mean, the one thing, um, th this perspective, and this happens with training everywhere, this idea, and it happens in books. It's the biggest problem with books. This idea that you have to cover material. Well, you know, and, and what, what does, what does cover <laughs> right, actually I mean? mean? I know. It's like, who defines What does that? it mean? So, you know, son, they asked me one time, they said, if we could change just one thing about our courses that would make the biggest difference, what would it be? And so my comment was, reduce the amount of topics by 50%. Take the fifty percent that you have and go deep, mm -hmm. and keep the time um, for the, for the course the same. Mm -hmm. Of course, they didn't do it, but <laughs> I mean that that would have done it because then people could have actually you know come out something, gone deep. with something. Yeah, and they can go fill to, in the gaps covered. themselves. Yeah, yeah, especially because you're half the stuff that you're covering is stuff that some a given student might never need. Right, and it just starts to get boring after the first half. Yeah, right. So and then just all you know all the other tricks. I mean, it's a lot easier to do that in person. I mean, that's why I was very uncomfortable about doing a book in the beginning. I mean, if you if you look at Head First Java, it's just sort of like the model that we used was a classroom where you're, you know, here I am teaching it, and I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to pull out every trick I have. You you will get this. One way or another, you will get this. And if I'm not doing a good enough job, I mean, that's the other thing, too. We assume if someone's not getting it, it's our fault. I mean, we, you know, we, we took Don Norman to heart. It's our fault. It's not the reader's fault. It's not the learner's fault. Mm -hmm. If they fall within the prerequisites, you know, it's our fault. And we're going to just do everything to, to, you know, to try to help them actually, you know, get something between their, their ears that we intend them to get. And, you know, it, it's, it's really exciting to be able to have a chance to do that. But yeah. I couldn't do it with words. Well, certainly you've done it with the books. I mean, how many head first books are there now? There's a ton. 20. Wow. 20. Well, it was yeah. supposed to be a series. It was Java one. Was just, I mean, Java, Head First Java was just supposed to be a one-off. Well, I remember you talking about that was a tough book to sort of serialize because it's you know every book was kind of like unique. Right? Well, we tried desperately to talk O'Reilly out of doing you know any more of them. I mean, now those other books are keeping our horses in horse feed, so we're happy. But um, yeah, because we thought we thought it, you know we we designed Head First Java to thinking we don't want this to be scalable. We don't want this to be you know we want this to be really hard to do something like this. Well, and, I actually got one later know, in the series. And then they tried to do it. I got one later in the series, and I, I thought it was up to the standard. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. It was about software, the full software development life cycle. I don't remember the exact title, unfortunately. But it was about, like, the whole right. process. And it was good. I mean, I thought it was comparable, at least. They're, it's pretty amazing what they I mean, they did a good job. I, I felt yeah. like keeping the theme, and it was consistent. It didn't feel weird. You know, yeah. Like, we, we don't, I mean, we're not, we're not editing them or, or really involved in them. We do training and boot camp sometimes for the editors and the authors. And, and it's it's a remarkable that they've been able to do you know any of them and that they've done this many is just yep. amazes me. All right, we're totally out of time. We're yep. late for the speaker's dinner. We are. At which we we get fed, please. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so let me let me wrap up. This has been uh, thank you very much, Kathy. Yeah. Thank you for and Bert uh, as well. Bert, uh, this has been Stack Overflow podcast number seventy three. It might be off count. by one. That's okay. It's doesn't really matter. Now, I'm going to look up the phone number of the Stack Overflow Podcast hotline, but in the meantime, tell them the email address. Okay, so the email is podcast at stackoverflow.com. You can email us uh, 
uh, an audio question in MP3 format or Og Vorbis format, try to keep it to 90 seconds. Please. Or you can call 646-826-3879 and record something there, and we'll play your questions and answers on a future show when we're back to the normal normal schedule back in, in our offices. Um, there's also a transcript wiki at which volunteers around the world transcribe these uh, these talks, and that is linked to uh, every week from the show notes at blog.secovo.com, where there's uh, hyperlinks to all the various things that we mentioned on this talk. That's right. Including that Arabic course I took when I was 16. So, thank you very much, and see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks. You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Rob Lepper. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Jeff Atwood. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.